Greetings Grapple fans, it's time once again for two wrestling fans to talk about wrestling matches that have been rated 5 stars or higher by the man who many would say is the expert on wrestling that hasn't laced up the boots and got in the ring himself. That's Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer and this is Let Me Tell You Something, live and in colour. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen and here with me is my co-host Simon Cross. Quick one Lorcan, does sound really have a colour? Well, I don't know, but it was in 1997. Dusty Rhodes seemed staggered that it was being used in television, so <laughs> that seems to be appropriate to point it out here. I, I'm we're doing it via Skype, and I can see you live and in color, so it seems apropos, in my humble opinion. That's true. Although recently we found out that a lot of people are still playing for black and white TV licenses, so maybe there's not the keypad. That's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my telly doesn't have colour. <laughs> if my telly was tuned in, I wouldn't have it in colour. <laughs> we haven't had that for a while. <laughs> but what we have had before is Ric Flair and Barry Windham locking up in this series, and we're having it again as this is the second of three matches over a 22-month or so period of time that Dave Meltzer rated five stars or higher. The last one was in Florida at the Battle of the Belts 2 event in February of 1996. It is now January 1997. We're watching an episode of NWA Worldwide Wrestling, and Ric Flair and Barry Windham are locking up yet again for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Yet again, Ric Flair is the defender, and yet again, Barry Windham is the plucky... Young upstart babyface trying to wrestle away the title. And what I will say from the start, this crowd is up for it. Oh, they are. There is energy. It's very, it's young women just screaming their hearts out. I've never heard so much of a reaction for reversing a hammerlock. Well, we we talked about it in passing that um, last episode, like what about Barry Windham and like his sort of like drawing power within his territories. He, he had the star power. Like there's no doubt about it. He had the potential to go further. So a year on, it looks like Barry Windham's now got more, it feels like he's got more of a star aura about him at this point. He's, this is a Jim Crockett promotions. Maybe it's because it's being filmed in a bit more of a, a, a more impressive picture quality. Um, this is coming from a DVD of uh, from the Ultimate Ric Flair collection. So this is a match that I'd actually watched before we started doing these series, back when I got that DVD back in 2003-ish time, I think. It was one of the first times WWE really took advantage of their vast archive of um, wrestling that they had at their disposal. And it, I remember it doing ridiculously well in sales, so it might be one of the first signs that eventually a full archive WWE network will be of a godsend for both wrestling fans and for the WWE's own um, money. And for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without that, we wouldn't really be able to do this podcast. Um, so you got them to blame. But, yeah, <laughs> but, the refs, but the fans are cheering everything, and they are cheering even the, the lifting of the belt to denote that it was a title match. It seemed like the fans thought... There could be a title change at this time. It's obvious that they've really built this up. That this is a, a true. There's a groundswell behind yeah. Windham, definitely. He's definitely got like, as I say, he's definitely has the crowd behind him. And not only that, 
there seems to be a confidence in his body language mm. that wasn't there last time. Sort of like the subtlety of him conveying, I, I feel I belong at this table now. Mm. I can do this. I've, I've, I've took him to the limit before. I can do it again. Yeah, and he really and he really overwhelms Flair at the start. He's hitting him with hip tosses, punches. Uh, he's controlling him on the mat. Ric Flair really can't get a hold for the first five to ten minutes. It really follows that classic structure of the babyface fire. There being one mistake or the heel being able to cheat to get their way. They get to control the middle portion of the match, and then you get to the home stroke where both guys are desperately trying to get the win. Um, yeah, Flair does have to go deeper into his bag of tricks. I mean, yes. as you mentioned, he is dominated for the large part early doors. Yeah, it's yes. only when action gets outside into unfamiliar yes. territory yeah, that he Rick actually Flair gets foothold in the match. Yeah, he has to get dirty. Really, he goes outside the ring to take a breather, and then he comes back in. And it seems like he goes for a stun gun, and there's a slight botch at that point where so the Wyndham doesn't seem to hit it that hard. So then Flair sort of sort of rams his throat into the rope afterwards. And then we take a commercial yeah. break. So we don't get to actually see the full match here, but unlike the Sheep Herders Fantastics match, we see the vast majority of this match. Yeah. Um, Wyndham's still in control at that point, but then, like you say, Ric Flair throws Wyndham outside the ring over the second rope and under the top rope to prevent the disqualification. And that's where Flair gets dirty and he really starts to inflicts more punishment to Barry Windham and then he targets the arm, he gets him in an armbar for an extended period of time. Um and yeah, and what do you, here's one thing I wanted to ask actually, because this is this is not only is this one of the first Ric Flair matches, this is the first match we see with Tommy Young as a referee. Now to a lot of people Tommy Young is the best referee of all time, or at the very least as good as like Red Shoes in New Japan. And like Red Shoes, he's very expressive. Mm. Do you think he puts himself into the match too much? Do you think he notices <sighs> him too much? Because like he's he's grabbing Barry Windham's hand to get him to unclench his fist. He's when when Barry Windham's going for punches in the corner. Tommy Young goes outside the ring and he's like leaning against the the ring post. He slides out the ring at one point to get a better view of. Ric Flair when he was in a submission hold. So that was something he would do very often. He would. Yeah. If, There's if, one if, moment but, where. Um, when he catches Ric Flair holding the ropes in the figure four spot, he rather than start a five count, he actually breaks up the hold. Mm, mm. And I swear there's one point later on as well where Flair's reaching for the ropes and yeah. just grabs it. And then Tommy Hook just kicks the I ropes. I get that. One of, I, the only thing I could think of was one or two things. That was like Tommy Young instinctively thinking it was like Ric Flair trying to gain leverage and forgetting that he was the one in the figure four. So he or, was like doing that. Or... He's like, nope, you've cheated before, you're going to have to do it again. It's like a punishment my, for his earlier behaviour. In my head, when I saw it, I was like, oh, maybe he thinks he hasn't got enough of the ropes, or he's just like grasped it like wildly and doesn't isn't holding the rope to trigger a break. That's why I'm kicking it, to just see if he actually does have hold of it. Mm. But do you think he shows he's too showy off or what? I don't know what well, the right balance is, really. Because he does great things. Like I love it, especially in the Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat matches, when one of them... Hits the other one with a chop. Tommy Young is just like, "Oh, that hurts!" And that's yeah. something that more refs do now. That like refs like Charles Robinson's very good at sort of selling big moves for like. I I like the fact he, he physically broke up uh, the figure four when when the ropes were when he saw that the Flair was cheating. He was like, "No, I'm not counting. Just no, you're not doing that anymore." Mm. I like that the rope thing. 
did ruin it a little bit in a sense of it's we're talking more at this precise moment in time we're talking about what the ref did rather than the actual competitors in ring mm. but it is and where if we didn't have that rope bit we'd be going oh the ref like um in like helps highlight the like you know like flair was cheating and like broke up the hold as it's up but the rope thing's just so strange it jars and now we're highlighting that rather than the in-ring action. You know but what Flair, I mean? But Flair obviously must like working with Tommy Young because he could just easily say, I don't want him refing my matches. Yeah. And it seems like Tommy Young refs the majority of Ric Flair's matches. He refs the majority of main events at that point. He was in the prominent position that like Earl Hebner once held in the WWE, uh, like Mike Kyoda very often holds nowadays. Yeah. That he's well, I haven't the seen... top official. Yeah, I haven't seen enough Tommy Young to say that like he is a bad referee all round. It just seems that that specific moment, but it was, was just very weird. Just some of the spots are interesting, like his his unclenching of Barry Windham's fists. Like Ric Flair has Barry Windham in an arm ringer, and like Windham's threatening to hit him with a punch, and Tommy Young is literally grabbing his hand and saying, "You've got to open that fist. You can't punch him." And then whilst he's doing that, Ric Flair's able to yank him by the hair and bring him to the mat. So it's obvious that that's yeah. like a a spot that all three of them had in place. Already. I don't know if that's part of uh, the ref not being very visual for like eighty percent uh, of the match. And what I mean by that is he doesn't seem to have great awareness of what's going on. And Dusty Rhodes is just screaming at him over commentary. Well, that's the classic Ric Flair thing. But he, in fairness, he's doing good positioning to make it look like he's doing his job, but still missing something. Look, Howard Webb missed Nigel De Jong kicking a man in the chest. So it's not impossible to refs to not be in the right position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get where you're coming from. It's, it's just I don't know. To me, it just seemed a little like he did it one too. Went they went to that well one too many times. Mm. But it, I take your point that he did it in a way where it didn't look unnatural for him not to be seeing it because he was focusing on whether Wyndham was going to have his shoulders down again. And that's predominantly why he didn't see rick holding the ropes for as long as he did so yeah there's much longer periods of dominance from both men and when rick flair makes when when barry windham makes his comeback and he rocks rick flair with some punches that's where you see rick flair do something that he didn't do in the first match the flair flop and that's because i think flair is much more in his heelish dirtiest player in the game and so the selling is a lot more barry windham's got the realistic baby face wobbly legs selling the sympathetic selling, whereas when Ric Flair gets hit, he's going all over the place. He he actually does a flare flop to his front, and then a few moments later, he does a flare flop onto his back <laughs> straight afterwards. Making up for lost time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and, uh, it's also interesting that he goes for a flare flip at one point, and he doesn't get into position correctly. And he sort of goes, he sort of ends up just shoulder tackling the top rope, <laughs> <laughs> the top buckle, which looked quite painful, actually. But yeah, Barry Windham's just fantastic at the wobbly legs selling. You know what I mean? He's trying to... Something that even Ricky Steamboat was even better at. That yeah. He's, you know, and, and it's harder when you're that much bigger than your opponent to get that kind of sympathy. But no, Windham's very good at looking like he, he's in pain. And Flair, because of Flair's technical ability, Flair's good at being a smaller guy who can inflict pain. Mm. Again, not again. We highlighted this last time we spoke about uh, Flair and Wyndham. Flair's not a small man, but no. some of the people he went up against, um, he had to make it look like 
Well, I think that's where he gets the dirtiest player in the game. That if he's not your equal in some area, he'll make up for it by just cheating desperately to get the yeah. advantage. He's not. He's not as strong as Barry Windham. He's not as. Quick. He's not as heavy as Dusty Rhodes. He's, he's not. not as, yeah, he's not as uh, agile as Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, he's not as young as um, Sting, muscular as Sting or Luger. Mm. But so then he'll just. He'll pull you out of the ring and he'll smack you in the ropes and he'll choke you whilst the ref whilst the ref can't see, and he'll take whatever advantage he can. Yeah, I mean, he de- he's definitely dirtier in this than he was in the first uh, meeting that we've covered. Mm. I what I like about um, Wyndham as well in this is from a sporting standpoint, the moment that. Flair misses like a sort of knee drop. Um, Wyndham's straight on that right leg. Like, mm. boom, there's a weakness. I'm going to go for it. Because um, Wyndham, we didn't see a lot of leg attacks in the first match. But is it and it looks like... Sorry, go on. It looks like he's... And you don't see a lot of this sometimes, where people will stick to their movesets no matter what. Um, yeah, even if the wrong... Famously does, you know? Yeah. Where even if the wrong body part is... Uh, injured on the opponent whereas Wyndham saw oh the leg's injured and yes he did go for the figure four last match but it's not it's like finishing what's interesting is that he went for the figure four before Ric Flair did it in the first match whereas in this one it's like a turnabout's fair play and he gets his own back on Ric Flair yeah it's also interesting that when he does the figure four in this match uh, and Ric Flair sits up he punches him to knock him down and to cause a pinfall should, is my question to you within your understanding of the rules of wrestling should a figure four be counted as a pinfall if the guys because they're not really covering them it feels like upper body should be on upper body in a in I know I know this comes later and I know it is technically more of a cover than the figure four but if the cocky pin counts yeah but it's just it... It's not the the only part of you that's on top of the opponent are your legs on their shins. Yeah, part of your legs are underneath. It's I've never quite agreed with it as a kid. I didn't understand it, like because that's how a Ric Flair beats Randy Savage for the second WWF title. Like Randy Savage passes out from the pain in the figure four, and so he gets pinned. Like the ref counts three whilst he's in it. Okay, well, yeah, it's not a roller. No, it's not a cradle. No. But under the letter of the law, the terms is to pin your opponent's shoulders to the mat for the count of three. And he does have comp, it has got bodily contact on his opponent, and his opponent's shoulders are down. Mm. It's one of them, like, it's a technicality, but it's valid. So. I just feel like the wrong parts of the body are in contact for it to be considered a pinfall. I don't know what, it's just me. Just me. Um, but yeah, Barry Windham, like, yeah, they both take some nasty spills to the outside, even though they can't be thrown over the top rope, but Barry Windham takes a back elbow that sends him to the outside, Barry Windham, um, I don't think he clothes, he punches Ric Flair, I think, and Ric Flair does a similar bump. Um, Ric Flair, oh, there was one part, actually, where Ric Flair gets him in, goes for the figure four, and he holds it in sort of a spinning toe hold hold for a while, and then Barry Windham turns it into a cradle. I think Barry was supposed to cradle him and didn't realise. Uh, so a little Flair bit early, sort of yeah. Tells him to. There's like a there's a delay in when yeah. he gets that in. I know what you mean because uh, it's sort of like Flair like leans over, it's like 
maybe to look like he's talking trash to sort of feed the cradle a bit. Yeah, and he has to kind of say cradle me or something like that. But yeah. Barry Windham's great at the comebacks, but Ric Flair's great at the begging off and the selling. Um, just trying to see if there's any other notes I've got here. Uh, it was a great bit where he escapes a vertical suplex, uh, lifting from. Oh, I love Barry Windham's uh, shoulder to the gut sunset flip spot. He does that. Yes. They cover so much distance. Yeah, he goes like over halfway across it. It's his height as well. Is, yeah. Yeah. But especially for like the way he does that flip so smoothly as well, considering how tall he is. Um. A lot, of the, a lot of the spots at the end are repeating from the previous match. You know, uh, Wyndham goes for a splash. Flair gets his knees up. Wyndham goes for a top rope elbow drop. Flair dodges it, but then Flair goes for a knee drop. Barry Wyndham dodges it. Wyndham hits his top rope drop kick and gets effectively, well, as far as Dusty Rhodes is concerned, like a seven or eight count by the time the refs actually got over there. Yeah, yeah. But that is because, uh, obviously, Flair had hit, tossed Wyndham into the ref in a very like unorthodox ref yeah. bump. But what really ramps up the tension far more is the franticness of the announcer telling you how much time is left as the match goes on. It's an yeah. awkward time limit as well. It's not a one-hour time limit. It's a TV time limit. Yeah. Um, they like make allusions to the fact it's like, oh, if this does finish early, we've got a standby match. I love that. It's just like, yeah, just you might be needed, you might not be. Well, it was um, like, I remember there was a Raw once where it was supposed to be Edge. It was supposed to be John Cena versus Shawn Michaels and Edge versus Randy Orton, and I think Randy Orton was out suspended or something. I think it was in the. It must have been the build up to the backlash uh, because it was after the WrestleMania twenty three match. It was in the UK. It's because John Cena and Shawn Michaels having that classic like fifty five minute match, and because it went so long, like it cancelled quote unquote the Edge Randy Orton match. Just see Vince screaming into the mic. This isn't right, damn it! Well, no, 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 because like, that obviously was booked to go. Oh yeah, yeah, it, but like it's just it's an interesting wise. thing of like them, them like that they have plans or that plans have to change because of yeah. what's happened, you know? It's like when the World Snooker Finals finishes early and then suddenly you're watching a bit of Coast. It's just <laughs> on. Yeah, we just got it in the tape player ready to go. I think go. they just have like a five-minute Coast, a ten-minute Coast, a fifteen-minute Coast to fit <laughs> any gap in the schedules. I think Channel 4's got like Jamie's 15-minute yeah, meal. It's yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. Um... I don't have much else to add. It, it ends in a time limit draw, but the very much the story of the match is that Flair survived. Yeah, about the time limit. Um, when the TV guys start mentioning there's like a, a minute left, it gets a bit quicker, but not quick enough yeah. for me, considering the circumstances. And uh, a big negative here, the mistiming of the finish. Uh, the rang, the bells rung a few seconds late for the time limit. I'm sorry if you're counting down. Mm. That bell, that bell guy should be ringing on zero, and it sort of makes it the referee's hanging on yeah. the count because it's the bell's not rung, and you notice yeah. it. Yeah, it, it notices it, and it took away from it a little bit. Mm. And not to discredit, because the in-ring action is very good. Um, I personally think this is an improvement on the previous Flair Wyndham match we've discussed, but it did have the uh, luxury of not having to fill so much time yes. like the first Flair Wyndham match did. They, they essentially cram as much action into less time. Yeah, yeah, and it has, a, it has a flow. It has a flow to it. I 
the finish the finish just took me away from it a little bit. Uh, I do like Wyndham's post-match promo though. Yeah, that's him... a great way of cementing a baby face. Going, I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna do it by pinning him with a one-two-three in the middle of the ring, and then just drops the title yeah. on like Flair, yeah. who's on his. And he does this great little gesture, like. Here's your champion, ladies and gentlemen. The guy I've just left laying in the ring. Yeah. And you just see Flair, I, I swear, even though he's selling, you just see one arm just go onto that belt just yeah. to get a hold of it. Just like, yeah. this is mine. So, yeah, I agree with you. I actually, to, to preempt our next episode, this is my favourite of the three matches we watch that are Flair Windham matches. And it's as close as I've come so far to giving a match five stars. I would actually rate it above the Yokota um, Asuka match slightly. It's it's really annoying when I have to absolutely parrot you, but, but now I'm quite right. I I, I agree. Um, this is I think my favourite of the three. Um, I would say you're again. It is the closest so far. Oh, I I don't want to nitpick on one spot too much, but if it weren't for the referee kicking the ropes away. And if it weren't for the missed time finish, I wouldn't have been taken out of the moment while watching this at so all. Do you think if that was if that had been perfectly timed, you might have given it five stars? Well, it's devil's advocate, but I'm just saying my suspension of disbelief wouldn't have been um, challenged at all throughout this match. And when your suspension of disbelief remains unchallenged, you are far more receptive to what's in front of you. Mm. Okay. It's- so, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones, ladies and gentlemen, you need to seek this out. I don't think it's on the network right now, but it is in the Ric Flair DVD collection. Yeah, I couldn't find it on the network, um, but thankfully the internet exists, so we're all good. Um, well, I was trying to watch on the DVD, but it turns out the one that I purchased, I didn't realise it all the way back. I bought it on Region 1. I must have been too uh, too impatient for the w- for the Region 2 version of it. This was back in the day. <laughs> It was so back in the day that I didn't even realise Blu-ray players were affected by region encoding. I thought they were all just, you know. Ah. So now I've got to today we learned. Today I've got to figure out how to region break this thing. Um, Um, I would say to anyone like myself who was in a position prior to this project of hearing Barry Windham's name, but not knowing a lot about Barry Windham, this for me showcases just how good this dude is. Oh yeah, yeah. At his best, he was as good as any of any of the guys of his era, and that maybe he did not quite reach the level that he could have done through timing, yeah. through his own actions, maybe as well, maybe his own lack of passion at times. Because um, you know, by the time he's the stalker and Blackjack Wyndham, he just doesn't really, you know, have it as much in him anymore. It does happen, unfortunately. He has flashes. Him and Kurt Hennig form a tag team and have some good matches with Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko in 1999, but that's really the last of it. And when you look at the sort of careers that Ric Flair and and Lex and, and Sting have that went on for so long, and Barry Windham hasn't had that. I think he's even had some uh, health issues in later years. Um, and I think he was just generally maybe a bit more of a less... Like when you see him in interviews, he's a softly spoken kind of guy. When he did the Hall of Fame speech, he really didn't have much to say. <laughs> he was... Some dudes aren't there to mm. don't have that innate desire to be at the top. Just like, table. As you watch him over the years, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, unfortunately, and not in any kind of uh, defined, ripped muscular kind of way. way. 
So again, maybe he didn't necessarily have the discipline in other areas that maybe his cardio wouldn't have been there, you know, a few years later. Yeah. He was still great, but he just wasn't, you know... We've still got some more Barry Windham to go. Not only in a couple more episodes' time do we have another Barry Windham-Rick Flair match, the concluding match of this trilogy, as it were, but he is in another... At least one more match that doesn't involve Ric Flair. But He's in another match where he's on the same team as Ric Flair as well, so that's a novelty. Is he in that one? He is, yeah. Okay, yeah, so he's got two, at least two more matches to go. Uh, because, of course, uh, only a, a few year, a few months after, he has an amazing match with L- Lex Luger against Anderson and Blanchard, where they win the tag team titles, only for Wyndham to turn on Lex Luger in the rematch a few weeks later, one of the great heel, times of all, heel turns of all time, and joins the Four Horsemen to form what seems to be seen as the greatest incarnation of the Four Horsemen. As you say, it's the one that went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, came out and greeted Ric Flair for his big retirement ceremony after WrestleMania 24 and so on. So, you know, Barry Windham's respected, but maybe hopefully more people over time will come to know about him. Just as hopefully, I think this this series, we're going to learn some more about guys like Jumbo Saruta, um, Mitsuharu Misawa and Genichiro Tenru that maybe one or both of us don't know enough of. And another person that we didn't know much of until we saw her have, until this, the best match of the series, Lioness Asuka is coming back in the next match where she takes on her crush gal's uh, teammate, Chigusa Nagayo. So we're going back to All Japan Women next time. But until then, if you want to get in touch with me, my name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for Northern Light Suplex. Simon, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, people can get in touch with me mainly on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, so known because we recently watched three people from New Zealand beat the ever-living crap out of the Fantastics. <laughs> we have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail.com. Well, that's it from me and from Simon. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Fucking hoes and popping pillies, man, I feel just like a rock star All my brothers got that gas and they always be smoking like a rock star Fucking with me, call up on no Uzi and show up, man, them the shot toss When my homies pull up on your block, they make that thing go gratatata Switch my whip, came back in black, I'm starting saying recipes to Bon Scott She asked me light a fire like a Marsan Act a fool on stage, probably leave my fucking show